Amen. Appreciate that. It's one of my favorite specials. I didn't even know they were going to sing it. And it's my family that did it. Praise the Lord. You know, I said yesterday, Pastor Webb asked if anybody had a testimony at men's camp out yesterday morning at our hurricane party, that is. And, uh, and I said, I'd just been reading in Mark 3 where, you know, they, um, some came around and said to Jesus, you know, your mother and your brethren and your sisters are out there and, you know, they want to see you. And he looked around on those that were around about him and said, these are my brethren, sisters, and mother. And I thank God for Lighthouse Baptist Church, Calvary Baptist Church. They're like family. In fact, they are my family. They're more like my family than most of my family is. But Pastor Webb reminded me, too, that it's wonderful when you're going to have your family serve in that family, church family, with you. And that is a real blessing. And I'm thankful to have my children serving with me. It's the greatest blessing in life. Anyway, enough of my crying. Good to have Pastor Bobby Mitchell with us this afternoon. And uh, for shade has ministered to us already, brother. You come preach to us. Here's, this water is for you. Okay. Thank you. So. Thank you, Pastor. Let's turn in the Bible to the book of Luke in chapter 9. Uh, well, that was a great meal and great, great music, great singing. Real blessing to my heart. The hymns and the uh, special number there. Very, very good. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Sunday afternoon, the Lord's Day. And where's Joe Jones? Where is that guy? The tempter. <laughs> Comes on. Oh, this is for you, Pastor. There's no pecans in it. I'm looking at this humongous sticky roll thing. All kinds, yeah. All kinds of sin and temptation. It was good. It was good. The devil made me do it. You're the devil. <laughs> so that and a coffee. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'll be, I'm high as a kite right now. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, my sugar is through the roof. <clears throat> In the book of Luke, chapter nine, verse fifty-one, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. 
And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we could read in the Word of God, and we have clear scripture presented to us, and we ask you that you'd help us with the explaining and the applying of the Word of God, that you'd be glorified, and your churches would be strengthened and edified, and you would do all your good pleasure with this. Please give me utterance and help me as I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 51, Fifty-two and fifty-three in those three verses, we see what I like to call Samaritan rejection. Can everybody say Samaritan rejection? The Lord sends these messengers before His face to go into this village of the Samaritans, and the Samaritans just tell Him very frankly, they tell them very frankly, we do not want Him coming here. Samaritan rejection. These are outright deniers. These are rejectors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, people still reject Jesus the same way. They rejected Jesus by rejecting his messengers. He sent some to say, Jesus is coming. They said, we don't want to hear about it. We don't want him to come. We do not want him here. So they flatly reject the Lord. Outright deniers, outright rejectors. They rejected him because, it says, his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. His direction was obvious. I believe when you and I are with the Lord Jesus and we're on the way to the new Jerusalem, our direction will be obvious also. I saw a sign many, many times growing up in a school I attended, a Christian school. This sign that we would pass every day as we went to the lunchroom, it said, and some of you may have seen this before or heard this, it said, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You ever heard that? It's pretty powerful, isn't it? It should be an obvious thing. If a man's on that side of the doorway and he comes into this side of the doorway, that's pretty obvious. If a man has a a water offered to him and he picks the water up and drinks it, that's obvious. If a man eats a piece of bread, it's obvious. The bread was there, now the bread is at his mouth, and now the bread has been consumed by the man. If a man is blind and now he can see, that's obvious. If a person is deaf and now they can hear, that's obvious. If a person is dead and now they're raised up, that's an obvious thing. Why is it that we Baptists have struggled in recent generations with this idea of, well, I think he might be saved. I'm not sure. I hope he is. Everything I just gave you as examples are all examples in the Bible of salvation. Salvation is an obvious thing. Conversion is an obvious thing. And there are definite marks of a saved person And I know I'm saved today because I look in the Bible and I see what God says about saved people. One of those marks is you can't get away with sin. Are you with me? I didn't say you can't sin, but if you're saved, you cannot get away with sin. God won't let you get away with sin. He loves you too much to let you get away with sin. The Christian life should be an obvious life of following the Lord Jesus. It should be obvious to ourselves to the church of God and to everybody else, we're on the way to heaven. There should absolutely be enough evidence to convict us. Jesus, it was very clear where he was going. They said, we do not want him. Often today, the Lord's churches are rejected because of who we proclaim. We proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord. 
His name is Jesus. He is the Christ, the anointed one who is coming to take over everything. And so no wonder worldlings do not want to hear about him. They don't want somebody taking over their life because they want to run their own life. And if you're lost, that's you. You don't want anybody taking over your life. That sounds horrific. That sounds like hell on earth, actually. Someone to take over your life? You don't get to run your own life? And you'd rather go to a literal hell than to have Jesus take over your life because that, to you, feels like that would be like going to hell. Let me tell you, it's wonderful to have Jesus take over your life. There's nothing like it. But we're rejected by many because we proclaim the Lord Jesus and we, we proclaim as they proclaim He's coming to your town, we proclaim He's coming again. One day He's going to step up from His throne. He's going to step out on a cloud to call the saved up to be with Him. Seven years later, He's coming back on a great white horse and He's going to rule the world for a thousand years. And most people don't want that. Oh, people say they want Jesus, but they want their version of Jesus. They don't want the actual Jesus that this book shows. The actual Jesus who was God who came in flesh, the Word of God incarnate. We're on the way to the New Jerusalem, and so we don't fit in here because we're on the way there. We do talk different. We have a different language even. We live differently. We have different priorities. We sing different songs. We walk with a different crowd. We have a different allegiance. We have a different king. This world has the prince of this world. His name is Satan. We have King Jesus. And so we don't fit in in the world. Our conversation is in heaven from once we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And like Jesus' face was set on the new, on Jerusalem, our faces are set on the new Jerusalem. We have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. And so, yes, we do not fit in. We are not of this world. That is why Jesus said the world would hate us. That's why the world does not hear us. The reason why the world hears false prophets is because they are of the world and they speak of the world, so therefore the world loves them and the world hears them. On the authority of God's Word, if you look in 1 John 3, 1 John 4, John 15, uh, John 8, on the authority of God's Word, if you won't hear true Bible preachers and true churches, it's because you're not of God. It's that simple. We go out knocking on doors and we want people to be saved. The majority of them will not hear us because they are not of God. But bless the Lord, every now and then we come across someone that is good soil. They have an open and true heart. They have a humble heart. God gives grace to the humble. Praise the Lord. And we begin to talk with them and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and we're able to see them saved. Praise the Lord. But outside of saved people, this world is under the influence the permeating influence, the personal influence, the inner influence of the spirit of disobedience. If you're not saved, you are possessed of an evil spirit. Say, well, I don't have a demon. You have an evil spirit called the spirit of disobedience. And if you would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in humility, you can believe, you can repent and believe, and He'll take that wicked disobedient spirit out and put the Holy Spirit in its place. You'll be a new creature in Christ Jesus. But it's no shock that the world does not want to hear us. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so we are sent by the Lord Jesus who was sent from the bosom of the Father to an unfriendly and an unreceptive world 
we are sent out of this wonderful place called the church, this people actually called the church of the living God, and we're sent from this comfortable time of meeting like this and singing and enjoying the good things of God. We're sent from this good time, this great experience, out into a dark and dastardly and deadly and devilish world because God loves sinners and we love them too. And we're going after them. And we'll keep going even though there's plenty of Samaritan rejection. If you study the history of the Samaritans, you'll find out that the Samaritan people are much like the Americans of this day. Confused, out of the way, many of them thinking they believe in the true and living God, but so perverted in their understanding of God Himself. And yet Jesus went after Samaritans. Well, after we see the Samaritan rejection, the outright deniers and rejecters, we see in verses 53 down to 56, 54 to 56, we see a spirit wrong. Everybody say spirit wrong. Now, this is not the outsiders. This is not the deniers and rejecters. This is actually the church now. The church has a bad spirit. And to get even more specific, the Baptist preachers in the church had a bad spirit. God forbid the Baptist preachers ever have a bad spirit. But look at me. You're looking at a Baptist preacher that at times has had a bad attitude. I know these two pastors have never had a bad attitude. Never had a bad spirit. Brother Russ has never had a bad spirit. But you're looking at a a Baptist pastor, Baptist preacher, at times have had a bad spirit. Brother Hoyle, I just read it in the Bible. It's not Bobby Mitchell. It's what the Bible says. Jesus said to John and... uh, who was it there? Was it James and John, the two brothers? And when his disciples, James and John, saw this rejection, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias or Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of what? Spirit you're of. He's saying, you have a bad spirit. Can you imagine the Lord's church the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that He has organized, that He has founded. These are men baptized by John the Baptist, organized by Jesus. He is teaching them. He's put them in the office of apostle. They're serving as apostles and bishops in the Lord's church, and they're literally under the influence of a demonic spirit. That's a scary thing, brother, isn't it? That's a scary thing. The you and I could be capable as Christians, as Baptist people... Even as leaders in churches, we could be capable of being influenced. I did not say possessed. Praise the Lord, I'm possessed of the Holy Ghost. No devil is going to possess me, but I could be influenced by a false spirit, by an evil spirit of destruction. They wanted to destroy this village. You know, another name for the devil is Apollyon. You know what Apollyon means? It means destroyer. He has come to destroy. Jesus has not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. He rebuked here with a spirit wrong. Jesus rebuked his failing disciples. You know, they brought up Elijah. Could we be like Elijah and call down fire from heaven to kill them? You know what they forgot about Elijah, Brother Jeremy? They forgot Elijah loved sinners too. Elijah one day went up on top of a mountain called Mount Carmel and he put himself in a very precarious and dangerous situation with all of Israel called up there with a wicked king and queen who wanted to kill him, and with all these false prophets that wanted to kill him, he put his very life on the line in an effort to see people turn to the true and living God. But they didn't say, Lord, help us to be like Elijah and go after souls. 
Help us to go after Elijah and go into dangerous, difficult places so that we could say, turn to the Lord, stop holding between two opinions, call on the Lord and serve Him. No, it was, Lord, they're rejecting us. Would you, like, would you let us, would you like us to just burn them all up? Can you imagine if Baptists had the ability to burn people? There'd be a whole lot of burnt people out there, wouldn't there? I'm glad the Lord's never... Those preachers in Revelation, Brother Nathan, that had the, had the ability, they're coming one day to just fry people with the breath of their mouth. I mean, I've been around some Baptists that their breath could just about fry you, but that's another story. That's just my ADD popped out there for a second. But uh, I mean, fire-breathing preachers. Billy Kelly was preaching one time. He said, if I was God, I'd have killed me a long time ago. Everybody said, amen. He said, shut up, I'd have killed you long before that. <laughs> <laughs> it's about right. Yeah. You knock on someone's door and they say, get off my porch, you blankety-blank, I hate you Christians, and you almost wish you could just burn them. Wouldn't be Christ-like. What would it be like Elijah on the mount? Now, Elijah on that other mount where the, they're coming to try to kill him, yes, he implored the Lord. God sent down fire from heaven and consumed two different groups of soldiers. But the third group came humbly and Elijah went along with them. Jesus here rebuked his failing disciples for their hardness and for the influence that they had allowed themselves to be under. There are many spirits gone out into the world. Try the spirits, whether they be of God. Put them to the test. Prove all things. You say, I just feel this way today. Well, ask yourself, where's that coming from? Is that the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God's influence is obvious. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, right? The Spirit of God is obvious. He's the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of grace. He's the Spirit of comfort. He's the Spirit of goodness and the fear of the Lord. And on and on we could go. A spirit of, I just feel bad. I just have a negative thought about you. I can't really describe it, but I just know something's wrong with you. You know, we don't have mind-reading abilities, and we shouldn't act like we do. I said, we don't have mind-reading abilities, and we shouldn't act like we do. We are absolutely clear to judge with the Scriptures words that proceed out of people's mouths and actions that proceed from people. We cannot judge hearts just because we think we think something. Amen. Gets you in a lot of trouble when you go around just thinking you know things about people. And you're ready to fight with them, ready to fuss with them, ready to ask God to destroy them. Lord, would you kill them? Would you like us to just burn them all to a crisp? Jesus affirmed His purpose. He said that He came to save, not destroy. So He loved His disciples enough to rebuke them for the wrong thinking and their sinful spirit and to show them, you better replace that with this. We are here to preach salvation. We're here to preach Jesus saves. Jesus loved His church. And he loved the Samaritans enough to be merciful to them. Now listen, they absolutely deserve fire, Kirk. They absolutely deserved to be burned. They did. But you know what? So did James and John. They absolutely deserved to be burned too. I deserve to be in the furnace. You deserve to be in the furnace. So the Lord Jesus, full of grace and truth, is just dispensing grace and mercy all over the whole situation. So we said, number one, Samaritan, what was it? Rejection. And number two, spirit, wrong. Then we come to verses 57 to 62. We see shallow reception. Now we have the visitors. So we got the outright rejectors who hate the Lord and hate the church. And then we've got the preachers, people in the church. They got a bad attitude. 
And now we come to the visitors, people that show up, and they're not against the Lord, but are they really for the Lord? And it came to pass as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, that sounds good. He says, Lord, Lord, I will follow thee. That sounds good. I have a determination. I am set to do this. I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. But Jesus does know hearts. Jesus does. And so knowing this man's heart, he lays out a warning. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. This one needed to know the difficulty. If you think you want to follow Jesus, the Lord Jesus lets you know up front, you won't follow Jesus unless it's Jesus no matter what. He's basically saying, here's the deal. If you're really going to follow me, it's me no matter what. I don't even have a place to sleep. I don't even have a place to lay my head. You sure you want to follow me? It's a lot different than how a lot of people present Jesus today. Well, if you want to go to heaven when you die, that's not the overwhelming emphasis of the gospel in the New Testament. That's not the, that's not the majority of Jesus' preaching. He did preach heaven a few times, but mainly he preached salvation from your sins, denying self and following the Lord Jesus. He says, you need to know it's me no matter what. It's Jesus no matter what. Then the second one, the Lord said to him, follow me. But he said, Lord, and then suffer. Then what's the next two words? What are those two words there? Me first. Me first. Allow me first. Allow me first to go and bury my father. What did Jesus say to him? Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now, the Lord's not telling us he's opposed to a man burying his father. Brother Byler's going to bury his father. But the idea here is this man saying, Lord, my dad, you know, I'm waiting till, till he gets old and he gets off the scene and he dies. And then at the end of all that, then I'll begin to serve you. No, you, serve, you start now. You start now. You don't say, well, when I retire. You say, now. Well, when I get married. No, now. Well, when I'm 18, no, now. Well, when I'm 13, now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Be saved now. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus knew that this man needed to know it's Jesus first. It's Jesus before dad. It's Jesus before mom. It's Jesus before husband, wife, children, in-laws. It's Jesus first. This man had a shallow reception well, I want to stay around till my dad dies. Then Jesus knew this next one was double-minded. He said, when Jesus said, uh, Lord, I will follow thee. This man said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first. So another, me first. Go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. You know, these men are saying me first because their life was me first. Let me first in time do this because they and their lives were first in priority. Are you hearing me? Lord, in time, I've, I want to make sure I get to do this first because their life really was a me-first life. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This man needed to know you can't be double-minded. It's Jesus only. The first one needed to know it's Jesus no matter what. This second one is Jesus first. And this one, it's Jesus only. Now, what, what's going on with these three men? They have a surface level statement of commitment. They have a very surface level 
profession of commitment. And by the way, gospel evangelistic saving faith is involving commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't be a believer without commitment. The, the, the very words have the same idea. Commit, believe, believe, commit. I know whom I, have persuaded, whom I have believed and I'm persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. <clears throat> they weren't really committed. Believers are committed people. Believers are people who are committed to the point that by the grace of God they overcome the world. They overcome difficulties and temptations. Demands of all other relationships are overcome because of the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a Samaritan rejection. That's the deniers, the outright rejectors. We have a spirit that's wrong in the very church of the Lord Jesus Christ, right in the very preacher's hearts. And then we have a shallow reception. That's the visitors, we'll say, to the church. But then I want you to see how chapter 10 begins. What's the first phrase in chapter 10? After these things. Now I want to impress upon your heart today with this exhortation. After the Samaritan rejection and the spirits run and the shallow rejection, what did Jesus do? After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. My simple message this morning is, in times like these, it needs to be more, more, more. After these things, let's redouble our efforts. Let's put down more. Let's get out more. Let's dig deeper. Let's go further. Let's go higher. Let's go faster. Let's not back up. Let's not shut up. Let's not sit down. We ought to be like Jesus Christ and go further with the Lord Jesus Christ. After the Samaritan rejection, the Spirit's wrong and the shallow reception, look at verse 1 of chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. How many had he been sending out previously? Twelve, two by two. Now he sends out seventy. How many teams is that of two? Thirty-five teams. Thirty-five. Lord, you just got rejected outright by the village, and you had trouble in the church. Look, when you have trouble in the church, you better not do anything. You better just wait until the trouble's over. Don't be given to missions. Don't be out evangelizing. Don't be training anybody. Don't try to go forward till everything's perfect in the church. Well, then you're never going to do anything for God because it's never going to be everything perfect in the church. Well, we've been rejected by people. Maybe we should just circle the wagons and hang in there till the rapture. It's not how Jesus thought. Oh, no. Now you've rejected, so now we're sending out 70. Listen, when your enemy lets you know what he hates, give it to him. Somebody say amen. Your enemy hates, that's when you give them exactly what they hate. The devil's saying, I don't like this. I'm going to stir up trouble outside the church and inside the church. You're sending messengers ahead of you. Okay, Jesus says, now I'm sending 70. You ever read Charles Spurgeon's letter to his uh, fiance when he was preaching in London and he was under such vicious attacks, just a very young preacher. And he said something to this effect, the devil is barking again. And he said, it just gives me one more opportunity to ram the sword of the Lord down his throat. <laughs> it's a good attitude, isn't it? When the enemy says, I hate that, that's what you give the enemy. And so more sending in chapter 10, verse 1. You know, Calvary Baptist Church and Lighthouse Baptist Church, you've been tried many, many times since I've known you. I, I've been around you all now for about 20 years. And I've seen many trials. You've seen many trials at Mid-Coast Baptist Church. And I think we need to keep doing what we're doing. We don't need to say, well, it's time to dial it back. 
Now, one thing we saw from Donald Trump, there's, there's a lot we can say about Donald Trump, good, bad, and ugly, right? One thing that's intriguing about that man is when he does something and the people on the other side hate it, they wish they wouldn't have let him know they hate it. <laughs> that's right. He doubles down. He goes further. He says even more. He pushes even harder. Now, I'm not saying Donald Trump is like Jesus. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that is how you do things when you want to win. When you want to get something done, that's what you've got to do. It's not time. Look, we just went through a couple of the craziest years. Think if what, what is it? October of 2022 right now. Three years ago, October of 2019, if I'd have said, here are some things that are coming the next couple of years, you would have said, you are crazy. What have you been smoking? You, you'd have said, well, things might get bad. They'll never be like that. I mean, mask mandates and vaccine mandates, and you can't have services, and, and you can go to Walmart, but you can't go to, you know, to mom and pop stores. You can go to McDonald's because that's healthy. You know, It's okay for your health, but you can't go to this home cooking place over here. Uh, you, you'd have said, you are crazy. If I told you the whole world would have locked down, if I'd have told you people would be panicking, people that still won't go to church, people that still are hiding and cowering and everything, you'd have said no way. If I'd have told you things Gretchen Whitmer's doing, that she's doing up in Michigan, things Joe Biden is doing in the White House, things that they're allowing in California, the abortions, all the stuff that we're seeing, we'd have said no way. And what I'm suggesting today is we follow the pattern of Jesus. And after all that we've seen the last few years, we do not back up. We do not back down. We do more sending. So you know what that means? That means we need more training. That means we need to be learning more and more how to talk to sinners, how to give the gospel, how to do our best to know, to, give, to be able to give answers to every man, every man, how to train up men to be sent out, be willing to be sent out, and send more missionaries and dial up faith promise even more. I know it's not a missions meeting, but anytime we have revival, we'll be giving more. We'll be praying more. We'll be evangelizing more. More sending in verse 1. Verse 2, more praying. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. You'll see Jesus regularly. When it really got tough, when it really got stirred up, brother, Jesus is praying. Matter of fact, right there before he goes to the cross, he goes to the garden. And he leaves, uh, let's see, leaves eight of them at the garden gate. Judas is gone now. He takes three deep into the garden. He tells them to stay and pray. And then it says, and he went a little further. And it says he fell on his face. The Son of God, face to the ground. He fell on his face. And he prayed. And it says, and being in an agony, he prayed the more earnestly. You ever read that? Has it ever convicted you like it has me? What do we do when we are in an agony? Jesus, when he was in an agony, prayed the more earnestly. And he prayed under such pressure that he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And here you see Jesus has been rejected. Jesus has trouble in his church. His preachers have a bad attitude. Visitors are coming out making shallow professions of faith. What does Jesus do? He sends out 70 and he has more prayer. Then in verses 3 to 16, more instruction. Very detailed instruction. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor script nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And unto what house, whatsoever house ye enter first, say peace be to this house. Hey, hey, hey. Jesus is the first pastor of the first Baptist church. He gave a lot of instruction. Why do we get annoyed when 
the pastor says, we're going to do this on a certain day, and we need to be on time for it at this time, and we don't need to be rushing in at the last minute. We need to be here in time to actually get things together and get things ready, and we're doing this particular job together, and we're going to have these particular men in charge, and we're not doing it this way, we're doing it this way, and we're not quitting until it's this time, not earlier and not later. Why do we get annoyed when we get detailed instructions and why do we tend to have an attitude of like, wow, what is he, a dictator or something? I mean, can't, can't he just trust us to... You know, sometimes we don't need a lot of details. Sometimes it's just a simple thing. We're having a dinner this next week, potluck style. We just need a bunch of food. Other times, someone makes a, a call and they say, in other words, someone calls the shot. You know, the buck's got his tub somewhere. And they say, it's going to be this particular dinner. And we need this many of these and this much salad and this much dessert. And these are the drinks. And sometimes, you know what Baptist people do? Why can't we just make up our own mind? Our pastor might say, we're going to be eating at 5.30. We need everybody to be in their place in a seat at 5.20. Wow, why is he such a control freak? We're going out evangelizing. You're going to that street. Start at this number. <clears throat> Stop at that number. Don't go past that number. You take this team and go over there. We want you four to stay right here and pray the whole time. Well, man, why is he telling them to pray? Why can't they decide for themselves if they want to pray and go evangelizing? It is absolutely biblical and Christ-like for pastors to give detailed instructions. And it should not chafe us and bother us. It should not frustrate us. We ought to, if we're servants of God, we ought to be able to take instructions from the overseers in the church. Jesus gave all these instructions. Jesus wrote, he had a book written for us. It's got very detailed instructions. Now, <clears throat> within all of these instructions, at times there is room for us to make decisions on things. But where he gives instruction, we ought to say, yes, sir, and obey the instructions and not have an attitude of, why are you telling me every move to make? There's people I've tried to help before, and they look at me, and I'm trying to help them with the Bible. And they say, well, you're trying to take over our life. One time a lady said that to her husband, and he looked at her in my presence. He said, number one, he's not trying to take over our life. But he said, number two, if we let him take over our life, our lives would be a lot better because look at how we're doing it. I did not want to take over their lives. I I have no interest in running anybody's life. I have a hard enough time running my own life. But why do we get an attitude like that sometimes? When we can get some biblical instruction from a pastor. Now you might say, well, I don't need this. I love my pastor. I listen to my pastor. I follow his leadership. Good for you. But the Holy Spirit might be dealing with somebody that needs to hear what I'm saying right now. Don't be proud. Learn to submit to the mighty hand of God. Learn to get instruction. And especially when it comes, this is a church ministry, a church work. If you are a Sunday school teacher and your pastor says, be done at whatever time, you don't say, well, the Holy Ghost led me to go three minutes over. No, he didn't. The Holy Ghost made the pastor the overseer. Amen. If the pastor said, I don't want you playing that particular song during the offerings, you don't play that song. You don't get your back up and stiffen up your neck and say, why is he telling me what to do? I know how to play the piano. I know how to play whatever. No, take the instructions. Jesus gives more instruction, very detailed instruction. Even after he's been so rejected, there's been such a bad spirit. And then after, after you get done with the instruction, they go out and they obey. In verses 17 to 24, more rejoicing. Look at this in 17. And the 70 returned again with what? 
with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And look what Jesus said down in verse 21. Look what Jesus did. Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Isn't that wonderful? More rejo- How could you rejoice after, after the Samaritans were so nasty? And after the bad attitudes broke out in the church, the church was influenced by a false spirit because God's still on the throne. The will of God is still being accomplished. We still have a job to do. We do not sit back and say we will rejoice. We'll be filled with joy and rejoicing as soon as everything is okay out there and in here. Well, then we're never going to rejoice. We're always going to be rejoicing, in a sense, through a veil of tears and through hardships and difficulties. How did Paul and Silas rejoice when they're in prison after being beaten with many stripes and held fast in bonds and stocks? How did they do that? Filled with the Holy Ghost. Just like Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Ghost. It's, you know what it's time for today? It's time for more rejoicing. If you spend your day staring at the news, scrolling through Twitter at all the conservative accounts, watching Fox News, listening to all the conservative podcasts and all of their guys and girls on the radio. If you spend your time keeping up with all the gender mess and all the wickedness out there, you will lose your joy. Sure, we need to be aware of the times and know how to function in them. God commends that. But that is not our focus. Our focus is on the Lord and we rejoice because our names are written in heaven, as Jesus said here. It ought to be more rejoicing. It ought not to be, well, the times are bad and there's trouble and and we're just coming out of this COVID mess and we've seen churches reveal their true colors and we're seeing men of God jumping ship left and right. We're seeing churches closed down and we're seeing all this chaos around the world. So how dare we do more sending and more praying and more instruction and more rejoicing? No, it should be. We're absolutely doing more because the time is short. This is a good time to be alive. It's the time God wants us to be alive and serving Him. We need to close out verses uh, 25 to 37, 38 to 42, more preaching. Jesus preached. And by the way, what you see in verses 25 to 37, you see public preaching. And then down in verse, uh, let's see, 38 to 42, you see private preaching. Jesus preached publicly, and then he went into a house, and Martha received her received him into her house, and Jesus is privately preaching and teaching in the house, and then personally, privately dealing with Martha. Now, Lighthouse Baptist and Calvary Baptist, let me give you something to thank God for. You have pastors that are excellent and that work at excellently preaching the Word of God publicly. You have pastors that work and are excellent at preaching the Word of God publicly. You do. You have pastors that are excellent at preaching the Word of God publicly. Say amen. You say amen, or I'm going to come down and sit down and say amen. It's true. Everybody here knows that's true. Some of you aren't very, you're not very loud, you're not amen machines, but you know that's true. But you ought to thank God for this. You have something that sadly not many churches have anymore. You have pastors that preach privately. You have pastors that will look you in the eye and say, I need to help you with something. I need to tell you something. I'm praying for you. I'm concerned about this. Give me a little bit of time. Let's talk in my office. Let's talk at your home. Let's talk over a cup of coffee. I need to help you with something from the Word of God. You ought to thank God for that. 
God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And a lot of times it's because a, a lot of this mentality is swept across American pulpits. This is the mentality. I do all my counseling from the pulpit. I just preach and let the Lord apply it to whoever. It's all well and good to preach publicly. You ought to. The Bible says so. But Paul said, I preach publicly and I taught you house to house. And the pastoral epistles show very plainly there's going to be private exhortation and edification and rebuke. Acts 20 shows it. And you see it everywhere you see this matter addressed of pastors and the people they're pastoring. 1 Thessalonians 5, Hebrews 13. There's tons of this insight into the personal ministry of the Lord using His pastor to help members personally and to help families in an intimate setting Helping a family get something right. Jesus did that. We pastors, we are under tremendous pressure to back up and to back off and to sit down and shut up. And the pastors in this room, I'm sure I can speak for all of us, we're not doing that. We're going to do more. We're going to do more sending, more praying, more instruction, more rejoicing, more preaching public and private. And what every church member ought to do is say, we want you to do more of it, preacher. We do not want less. We want more. Amen. Don't be disappointed in it. There's a young man I was with up in, uh, I was preaching a family camp for Brother McCandless up in South Dakota. And, and this young man that's learning to preach, he said to me at the end of the week, he said, Pastor Mitchell, he said, you never stop preaching. He said, in the pulpit, at the table, in the car, he said, playing volleyball, he said, you never stop preaching. I said, do you want me to? He said, no. I told our church, I said, I know I never stop preaching. Don't ask me to cut it out. I'm not going to turn it off. Matter of fact, I'm going to turn it up. Now, I, want to, I don't want to be so socially uh, ridiculous that I'm never able to just talk about the weather, never able you know, talk about deer hunting or something. But if you want your pastors to just lay off and to just shut up about the Bible and about God and about the things of God and all, you, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You don't want that to happen. The day your pastor stop constantly preaching publicly and privately is going to be a horrible day for Calvary Baptist Church and Lighthouse Baptist Church. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for it. And we ought to have an attitude of more, more, more. Serving Jesus is more, more, more. Serving Jesus is after these things, more, more, more. It's forward, upward, onward until glory. It's don't quit, don't slow down, don't back up. It's so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let me ask you a question. You think the devil's backing off? You think the devil's ever going to sit back and go, well, now that's enough. We've gone far enough. We've turned the lights out enough. We've tempted them enough. We've dragged society down to a point of degradation where that's far enough. You think he's ever satisfied? He's not. Have you ever found that lust ever says, that's enough, I'm satisfied now? Have you ever found that temptation and sin ever says, we're all set? No, the devil, lust, temptation, sin, it's always more, more, more. So I want to encourage you. You've had great times. You've had tough times. You've been through some really testing times the last few years, along with churches all over the world. And you've had your own personal tests in the churches. And you've had your own personal tests in your homes. And you've had your own personal tests in your very souls, individually. Do not back up. Do not back down. Do more. More sending, more praying, more giving, 
more rejoicing, more witnessing. Let's be like Jesus and say after these things, it's more, more, more.